Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word and to look at what you'd want us to see from this. We ask you to guide and lead us and teach us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Second Kings chapter 23, we're continuing the story of Josiah. Uh, we, last chapter, Josiah started reigning at eight years old. As they were cleaning up the temple, they found the book of the law. He repented, and God said that he would spare Judah during his lifetime, but that the punishment would come, the punishment that was due because of Manasseh's sin would come after that. And in this case, we did not say, hear him say, oh, good, as long as it's okay with me. Uh, he, he's going to try everything he can to get uh, God's favor for his country. So starting at verse 1. And the king sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and, and of Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears the whole, all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments, and his testimonies and his statutes and all, with all their heart and their soul and to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and, and the priest of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove and all the host of heaven, and he burned them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them to Bethel. And he put the idolatrous priest whom the king of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high place in the cities of Judah and in the places round about Jerusalem, them also that burned incense into Baal to the sun and to the moon and to the planets and to all the host of heaven. And he brought out the grove of the, from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem in, unto the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kindron, and stamped it to, to a small powder, and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people. And he broke down the houses of the Sodomites that were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove, where the women wove hangings for the grove. And he brought out all the priests out of the brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah, and, def, and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense, from Geba to be, be to Beersheba. And broke down the high places and the gates that were in the entering of the city of, of, of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on the man's left hand at the gate of the city. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places came not to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they did eat of the unleavened bread among the brethren. All right, we'll stop there. Quite a bit, quite a bit to go over. <laughs> a lot more going on. Josiah. Started reigning when he was eight. At, at age 26, he starts to really try to clean up everything. Finds the book of the law. And the first thing he does is he gathers everybody to Jerusalem to hear the words of the book of the law. So he is going to get the people to follow God if it is all within his realm. And he's going to do everything he can to make sure that they do so. But in verse 2 it says, The king went to the house of the Lord, and he called all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem to him, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great, and read in their ears the whole book of the covenant that which was found in the house of the Lord. So he gathers 
Basically, he gives a royal command saying everybody's coming to church. <laughs> it would be our equivalent to that. Uh, so he brings everybody in Judah into the temple where, where they hear the word of the law. And it says the king stood by a pillar. This literally is more than a pillar. They believe that it was a pulpit. It's more of a pulpit. And it was one that was designed by, by previous kings to have a special place to, of honor. And apparently it's very large because they're going to put a lot of people on it. And he stood by this thing to talk to them from an elevated position. And it says, he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their hearts and all their soul to perform this word to the, of this covenant that were written in this book. Now, it's kind of interesting. It starts out, the king makes a covenant. And then it switches to there. Now, and it is in italics. So I don't think it belongs there. I really believe he's making a covenant saying, this is what I am going to do. All right, in italics it says there, but I think he's making a covenant saying, this is what I am going to do. And he's going to challenge the people to follow his statement. But if you want to look at this, he says he was going to walk after the Lord, do what the Lord said, to keep the commandments and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. This is something that God asks us to do. Are we going to listen to his word and keep them with all our heart, which is our innermost being and all of our, our being. And this is what Jesus said. The greatest commandment is to love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your, and your, and your mind. All of our entire being is to love God. How do we show him that is by being obedient to his, his laws. And this is what Josiah is going to do. He's going to really, we're going to see that Josiah does a wonderful job obeying God uh, to, to this and it says, and the people all stood to the covenant. So they're all standing as this covenant was being made. They're witnesses to Josiah's covenant. And this is very important. And in this process, he is most likely asking them to be bound by the same thing. He's, he's asking them to make this covenant. Because he's going to make them accountable for this. He really is going to do a lot of things going on. Verse 4 says, And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priest of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and the grove and the host of heaven and burn them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes to Bethel. All right. So he gets the high priest who has allowed all this stuff to happen in the first place and let it contend. And it says the priest of the second order. Now, we don't know exactly who, who they are because that's never used anywhere else. There's speculation that it could mean all the other priests. I don't think it's that, you know, necessarily, but it could be. Uh, there are some people who believe it's the number two or number three high priest, the next in line. The one that I tend to agree with is this is the elders of the 24 divisions. When David was, was alive, he set up the temple... Uh, the priest into 24 orders. And so I believe the second order would be those ones that were in charge of each of those divisions. I can't prove that. It doesn't really, it's not, it doesn't really matter other than this is a statement that is used only one time. What, what did you say? Right. Now I'm not going to argue that statement because it could make a, it could be a very 
biblically, there's only the high priest and every other priest. But in practice, there probably was a second-in-command. Uh, or, as was in David's case, he put 24, you know, 24 divisions, and the high priest isn't going to be there the whole time. There was probably somebody put in charge of each division, so, which would then be second rank. You know, who knows? We don't know enough about what this means. It's used only here. Uh, and the keepers of the door, so the people that are the, the guards of the door, and it says, bring out of the temple everything that is for Baal worship and for the grove, which we've talked about when, they, when, they, when you read the term the grove, it's talking about Astoroth worship, the fertility goddess, a totem pole, uh, decorated in sexual items. Uh, and he says, and all the, the, and all the hosts of heaven, remember we talked, they, they made idols to the sun, the moon, and, and all, the, all the stars and the planets. So he says, I want everything that doesn't belong in this temple, basically, to be removed. And this is going to take a while. I mean, you've got idols to just about everything under the, you know, in the heavens, plus Baal and Astaroth. And he says, I want them out there, and he's going to burn them in Kidron, in the Kidron Valley. And I love this. And then it says, he takes the ashes to Bethel. Now, do you all remember what happened in Bethel? Probably not. Bethel, when Jeroboam became king of Israel, remember the first thing he did was he created golden calves in Bethel and in Dan. So he's taken this stuff, all these ashes, this desecrated ashes, he's taken to Bethel so that he can basically desecrate those, those idols. He's going to destroy them too, we're going to find out. But he takes these items that are going to be able to desecrate and be said, number one, I don't want them anywhere near God's temple. So he takes them to Bethel, which has been house of God. I mean, it's a special place. And Jeroboam turned it into an evil place. Is he the one that put the temples into the holy place? No. Manasseh did that. Manasseh was so bad. His father was Hezekiah, a good king. And he got so bad that he started worshiping everything, not just God. But Manasseh put all this stuff into into the temple. Now, many of the other kings just loud worship all around and let temples go up, but Manasseh literally put stuff inside the temple. And Josiah is going to come in. He says, I want, you know, this is God's house. We're taking everything out of there that doesn't belong there. And he knew what belongs there because they just read the book of the law. And he goes, there's only supposed to be a few things in there. And he says, we're going to, uh, priests get rid of everything. And this is the way that he is. He's going to get rid of anything that doesn't belong there. And he burns it, and he goes to Bethel and puts the ashes there. And then in verse 5 it says, And he put down the idolatrous priest, which literally means he exterminated, he killed. So all the priests that were worshiping these idols, he had executed. And in one side I feel sorry for these guys. They should have known better because they're supposed to be Jewish. But you know, they were put in place by the king. And yet he takes them all. Anybody who's given, who is priest, he puts down. And anybody that burned the incense to the high places and places around about Jerusalem, they that burned incense to Baal, the sun, the moon, and the planets, and all the hosts of the heaven, he's going to ex ex execute. He is zealous for God. And he's going to try to do everything to please God and do what God wants. And so he's destroying all these altars. He's destroying the priests. 
that are worshiping them. Uh, verse 6, And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord. So again, we have this totem pole in the house. He brings that out. And uh, the house of the Lord without Jerusalem to the brook of Kidron where he burns it. And then he stamps it into a fine powder or pulverizes it and places it on the graves of the common people, the children. This was to desecrate the items. Uh, bones were, were something that would desecrate the altar or the, or the god. You weren't allowed to do anything on it. So he took their ashes, the ashes of the things and dumped them on bones. He's already destroyed them, so I can't understand why he's got to... I mean, he's going to make sure that nobody even gets the ashes to, to worship. And, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing because people do take even the funniest things to become worship. You know, they'll take the ashes and, and say, well, this is what's left. We're going to worship this. And they'll take the destroyed pieces and, and, and worship them. And he's going to make sure that he's desecrated. He dumps all the ashes on the, on the, on the tombs and on, inside the graves on top of the bones. Uh, he is very, very zealous for God. And then this one is the one that really freaks me out. He says, he broke down the houses of the Sodomites that were in or by the house of the Lord. This literally is male uh, prostitutes that would be used in the service of the Astoroth god, goddess. And they, were right, they had built their, their house right next, probably in the temple in, in the outer courts. And it built a house for male prostitutes and most likely were Sodomites. Homosexuals. What's that? Sodomy? Yeah, no, that's the male prostitutes. Oh, yeah, lots of it. Nothing new under the sun. Homosexuality, the violence that is associated with homosexuality is all through the Bible as well. So uh, it happens all the time. Yeah. God doesn't hide sin. He doesn't hide sin. And this one was right there at the temple. So that means they were practicing the worship of Astoroth there in the temple because the pole was right there and they had to practice, you know, commit their acts in front of the pole, you know, that they were worshiping in the temple of God with homosexuality and heterosexuality. All sex was, was permitted by Astoroth. And he destroys that, you know, that particular activity. And this is, and he says, where the women wove, uh, wove hangings for the grove. And I'm not sure what that is, because I looked that up and I couldn't find any reference to what that was referring to, some kind of garments or something, uh, I don't know. Uh, blankets for them to be on, I don't, I have no idea what this is all about, but women were weaving something that was being used in the worship of the Astoroth. Uh, and I was not able to find out much more about that. Uh, and verse 8 says, And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Gerba to Beersheba and broke down the, the high places of the gates that were in the entering of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, that were on the man's left-hand side of the gate, at the gate of the city. So he's going through all the cities. He is going to be the first king over Judah that wipes out all the temples to other gods. And he doesn't care how, how important the person is who holds it. You know, here he's going to the, the gate of the governor who had built one on the... It's kind of interesting. They say the left side as you're entering in. Uh, 
You know, so it was very specific. It probably meant something to the people at that particular time more than it does us. But he went all through Judah and he wipes out all these temples. Beersheba is way to the south. Geba, or Geba is further up. It's, it's about the north of, northern part of Judah. So he's going all through his nation and wiping out every shrine that he can come. Now, they're going to be very amazing. We're going to find that he does all of this through Judah, and he's even going to go into the Israel who's been conquered and wipe it out there too, all in one year. He's all going to do this in his 18th year of his reign. When he's 26 years old, he's going to go all through, this, all through the territories and all through the territory in the northern kingdom that's been conquered and wipe out all of the shrines and altars and temples and destroy them all. All right, he is vigilant. He says, we're going to follow God and he is going to wipe out anybody, anything that's not worshiping God, he is going to wipe out of the, of the nation. And so he goes through all of this and verse 29 says, nevertheless, the priest in the high places came not up to the altar of the Lord of Jer- of, in Jerusalem, but they did eat the unleavened bread among their brethren. So he's saying these false pr- priests did not go into the Holy of Holies. They did not go into the holy place to offer the incense. So they did keep some semblance of the temple. So they knew what they Some people knew something, but they did eat the showbread. All right? That was the bread that was only to be given to the priests. Not even to their families, but to their to the priest only. And these false priests have been eating God's holy bread that was only for the for the priest so yes there's there's they knew something they knew enough that the holy place was not someplace that these false ones were going even though they let all these idols into the area of the sacrifice they did not actually enter into the temple to a degree but they'd lost the word of god so the same token all they're doing is operating on a tradition and things that they had heard from the past. But they knew the Holy of Holies was the place nobody could go to except the high priest once a year, and they kept that. They understood that the altar of incense and the menorah and everything was only for the priest to be able to to minister to, so they did keep that part of the temple pure. And in the back of their mind is probably thinking, well, we're serving God really well, and this is the problem we can have as sinners, as as in, in, when we sin and we let sin into our life, we're going, God, well, I'm, you know, I'm keeping certain things that are really important to you good. You know, God, we're keeping the holy, the holy place and the holy of holies good, but, uh, you know, so just look good on us. We're not doing that, but we're doing other things. You know, we're doing really good. The, the, those places are still yours. The rest of our life is, is, is the world's, but we're, we're keeping that spot okay. And this is the way many Christians think oftentimes. Well, God, you know, I, I've been reading my Bible every day. I may not be doing anything else, but I do read my Bible every day. Or, God, I go to church once a week, so, you know, you should be happy. You've got that part of my life, and, you know, just be happy with that part of life. That's where they were at with this. God, you're not, we're not sending these people into the, the, holy, the holy and the holy of holies, but... We're letting them in the courtyard. We're letting them where the sacrifices are made, which means the sacrifices were all, all defiled. All the tables that were used only for God's sacrifice were being used to kill every other 
animal for sacrifice. And they had every god, Baal, Astaroth, the, the god does the sun, moon, stars, planets. Uh, all of those things are in the temple court where when people come to worship, they see it, all these other things that are going on and big problems. In verse 10 it says, And he defiled Tophesh, which is in the valley of the children of, of Hena, that no man may make his son or daughter to pass through the fire to Moloch. So the, I, the temple to Moloch was in to, Tophesh, which is in the, in the, over in Hinnon. So he, he defiles that one. He destroys that idol. He destroys their, their temple. He is going out, and he is, if there's a god that's not God, he's destroying it. And uh, Moloch was one of those big ones. It passed through the fire. The, the worship of Moloch was to, kill, to, to roll your children down into this idol's belly that had a fire lit into it. And they would get it red hot when they pulled, put the child in the arms and, and dumped him in. And Moloch was a god of power and approbation lust. Uh, and he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had given to the son at the entering into the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathalmelech, the chamberlain, which was in the suburbs, and burned the chariots to the son of the sun with fire. So they worshipped the sun, the sun with horses and chariots so that they would make these idols for horses and chariots so they just, he's destroying those and burning those. All right, he is, he is very zealous. Verse 12, And the altars that were on top of the upper chamber of Ahaz, and of, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars of Manasseh, which were made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, did the king beat down and broke them in, down from thence and cast, them, and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And the high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right hand of, of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Zidonites, and Gamesh, the abomination of the Moabites, and Milcom, the abomination of the children of Ammon, did the king defile. And he broke to pieces the images and cut down the groves and filled their places with the bones of men. This, he's being very thorough. All right? So he's going in in verse 12. He's taking the altars from the top of the upper chamber that Ahaz built. This is a couple of kings ago. Ahaz was a king of the northern territory, but he was a worshiper of Baal and Ashtoreth. So he's destroying his special temple, his special places. And then it goes on to say, and he took out the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts. So he's already, we already started that one. These are the, these are the courts, the gent court of the Gentiles and the court of the women and the, and the regular court. So he's cleaning out everything out of the temple. He's cleaning out the, any idol that any of these kings have made. And then he goes one step further that no king had ever done uh, as he takes these out in verse 13. And the high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right hand, of the Mount of Corruption. And if you don't know what the Mount of Corruption is, it's another name for Mount Olivet. It had so many idols placed there by Solomon and others that at his time it was considered, he, they called it the Mount of Corruption. And Solomon had, that's where Solomon had built all the temples to it for his wives. It was on Mount Olivet, just outside of Jerusalem by less than a day's journey. And so he tears down all these idols which Solomon had built. Three of them in particular that he's going to pull down. The 
the Astoreth, which is for the goddess of Zy the Zidonites, Gamesh, which is a war god of, uh, uh, of uh, the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of Ammon. All right? If you want to look back when these were created, they were 1 Kings chapter 13, verses, verse 2, talked about Solomon building these. And we've talked about that way back when we were talking about Solomon. You know, Solomon takes these foreign wives and eventually starts building temples for them. And I'm sure kind of, you know, the, the statements kind of go, Solomon, we have no place to worship. You know, if you really loved us, you'd give us some place to worship. And he builds them thinking he's never going to go. And then eventually they talk him into going to worship. And the next thing you know, he is worshiping all these different gods and goddesses. And again, this is where if we give place at all to sin, if there's any sin in our life that we think is no big deal, it's just a small sin. Small sins don't stay small, and sin always requires more from us than we would ever expect. Always. doesn't matter what it is. This is how people get into drinking and cigarettes and drugs. Well, I can handle it. I just need it to relax. And, and, and you mean it at first. You know, you, what you're taking is just to relax. And the next thing you know, it's taking over your entire life. Workaholism does the same thing. You know, I'm just doing this for a short time. It's an emergency at work. And then the next thing you know, you're caught up in it. And this is what happened here. And he destroys the first of the kings to destroy Solomon's temples that were built to these gods. All right. And this is a big deal. He is cleaning up Israel, or Judah. And he broke in pieces the images and cut down the groves and filled their places with dead man's bones. So he's going into the graves, taking bones and dumping them on all the altars and any, any shrine or anything. He is defiling them. Now, this doesn't mean a whole lot to us. I, and I really don't understand how a bone put stuck on an altar is going to defile it, but that was their mentality. The only thing that was supposed to be on an altar was clean uh, offerings and sacrifices for that deity. So by putting dead people's bones and ashes on it, you defiled it. And from that point on, it was never to be used for that god or goddess. Uh, don't know that it was always true, but that's what, that is what happened. All right, verse 15. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin and had made both the altar and the high place, he broke down and burned the high place and stamped it to small powder and burned the grove. And as Josiah turned himself, he spied the sepulchers which were in the, in the mount, and he sent and took the bones out of the sepulchers and burnt them upon the altars and polluted it according to the word of the Lord which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words when he said, What title is that that I see? who proclaimed these words. And he said, What title is that that I see? And the men of the city told him, It is the sepulcher of the man of God which came to Judah, from Judah, and proclaimed it, these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, Let him alone, let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet that came out of Samaria. And all the houses also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the king of Israel, the kings of Israel had made to provoke the anger of the, uh, to the Lord, Josiah took away and did to them according to all the acts that he did done in Bethel. And he slew all the priests of the high places which were there upon the altars and burned men's bones upon them and returned to Jerusalem. All right, so he goes to Bethel where Jeroboam has built those 
that golden calf. It's the center of golden calf worship in, in, in the northern kingdom along with Dan. But it really is the center. And why did, if you remember, why did he build it in Bethel? Well, Bethel was the southernmost part of the, of the northern kingdom. And he didn't want his people going to Jerusalem to worship. So he built this idol and said, this is your God. Hoping that everybody would stop and not go to Jerusalem. And he's in, this, he's in there and he's desecrating this temple. And we, he's taking the bones out of all these graves and, and burning them on this altar. And he turns to people and goes, there's a grave there that's specially marked, what is it? And I just want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 13, because this also has the story that is referred to here. And it's very amazing. First Kings 13. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar in the word, in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born of the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon you he shall offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon you, and men's bones shall be burnt on you. And he gave a sign of this, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and ashes shall be poured upon it, and shall be poured out. Now note, Josiah is named at this point. This is Jeroboam. This is like 400 years earlier. That Josiah is named to be the one that was going to desecrate that altar in Bethel. And here he is, and can you imagine the people looking, because it's probably remembered, right down to the letter. And they're going, Josiah's here, Josiah's burning the bones, you know, Josiah is tearing this up. And they quote to him what was told hundreds of years before. And he's fulfilling it. This is the beauty of God's prophecies. God's prophecies are exact. All right? And there was no other king Josiah before this. And I can almost picture these guys looking and going, Josiah's king of, you know, David's son Josiah is king of, king of Judah. I wonder if there are prophecies going to be fulfilled. Uh, you know, so you're going in there and he comes and he shows up. And I think he's going to be blown away. I was prophesied that I was going to do this as he's doing it. Because he doesn't know about this. He's, he's, they found the book of the law, not the book of the prophets. So he doesn't even know that he has been prophesied that he was going to do all of this. And so he decides that, that, that tomb, leave alone. That's a special tomb. He, he, he prophesied my, my activity, leave his tomb alone. And then it says, and he, and he went out in verse 19, and all the houses and high places that were in the, in the cities of Samaria, the northern kingdom, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger, Josiah took away. So remember, the northern kingdom has been conquered by Assyria. He really has no authority right now to go into Assyrian territory and wipe out all of these temples that belong to the children of Israel. Other than this is God's, God's land. He knows that it's God's land and he's going to purify all of God's territory. So he rides north, and at this point he's probably taken his army because he's in, he's in the Assyrian territory, uh, conquered territory, and he's destroying 
priests and, and temples and altars. Now, if the king of Assyria heard this, it would not be a very popular activity uh, because he's not in his own country. When he did it in Judah, do what you want in Judah, but now he's in the tributary for, for Assyria, killing people uh, and tearing down high places. And he does this to everything, and he kills all the high priests and burns all the altars all through the northern kingdom and then returns to Jerusalem. He is very vigilant for God. Huh? Yeah, well. Very vigilant for God. And this has happened in other times uh, when you had somebody like Cortez when he went into Central America and saw all the idolatry and human sacrifice. He went there with the idea of bringing evangelism to them and, you know, and teaching them about Jesus and everything. And when he... And then he got hot under the collar and did just this kind of thing. He did not have a right because he wasn't the king of that place, but he started killing everybody that was worshiping and, and killing other human beings. You know, and this is the problem that can be a problem. You know, Josiah, I think, almost went too far, but he is going into God's land, God's promised land. You know, this is, belongs to Israel as far as he's concerned. You know, he read that all this land is ours, <laughs> and he went in and destroyed all signs of idolatry worship in, in what belongs to God. Now, he could have gone to war. This could have brought him at war with Assyria. It doesn't, but it very well could have uh, because he's going up there and causing, killing people in, in land that belongs to Assyria, even as tributary. And so he's up there killing people, and then he returns back to Jerusalem. He's done destroying all the temples, all, uh, all, the, all the altars, all the temples, in all of Judah and, and the northern kingdom of Samaria. And probably coming back pretty happy. God, I've, clear, I've cleared up everything. There's no, no foreign gods in all of, all of your land. There's no foreign gods. Now, I almost wonder if he thought that he was doing good works for God instead of not. But I think from the way God treated him, it was, a, it was right. He's doing what is right, and he's just zealous for God. He was so heartbroken at how much the people had broken God's commands, probably amazed that God had not brought judgment on them already, and said, I am going to do everything I can to purify this land and try to buy extra time for my people. I'm going to get rid of everything. No idols anywhere. Destroys Solomon's temples, you know, which was a big deal. Uh, destroys all the ones that his father put in, all the ones that Ahaz, his great-grandfather, put in. You know, all the things, he destroys everything and says, God, I'm going to try to bring us back to you. And we're going to find out it doesn't work, but he's, he's trying. He's really working at trying to do what's right. Well, he's, he's trying to do what he can. Verse 21, And the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover unto the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of this commandment, surely there was not withheld such a Passover from the days of the judges that judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel, nor the kings of Judah, but in the 18th year of King Josiah, wherein the pass this Passover was held to the Lord. So he holds, he calls the people to Passover. All right? And we want to just look at this Passover because... Chronicles, Second Chronicles 35 will tell us more about this, this Passover. 
There have been other kings that have held a Passover and, and when they realized that they hadn't been doing it. But in Jos Josiah's day, he went in and held Passover. Uh, let's see. Let me find where Passover starts. Oh, might help to be in chapter 35. <laughs> chapter 35 of 2 Chronicles. Moreover, Josiah kept a Passover unto the Lord in Jerusalem, and they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. And he set the priests in, in their charges and encouraged them to the service of the house of the Lord and said to the Levites that taught all of Israel, which were holy unto the Lord, put the holy ark of the, in the house of Solomon, the son of David, King David, did build, and it shall not be a burden on your shoulders and serve now the Lord and his people. Prepare yourself the houses of your fathers and after your courses according to the writings of David and king of Israel and according to the writing of Solomon his son. And stand in the hoarded place according to the divisions of the families of your fathers. So kill the Passover and sanctify yourself and prepare your brethren that they may do also according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And Josiah gave to the people of the flocks and the lambs and the kids all for the Passover offering and for all that were present to a number of 33,000 uh, 33, bullocks which were in the king's substance. And the princes gave willingly unto the people and the priests and the Levites and Hilkiah and Zechariah and, and Zehiah, rulers of the house, gave to the, to the priest of the offering over 2,600 small cattle and 300 oxen. We're having a large celebration. All right. Uh, they are having a celebration. We're going to, if you read on there, it's taking the Levites. You know, the priests aren't all the ones that can kill the lambs. It takes the Levites helping them because there are just so many people that are saying, we want to offer to God. The people are buying into this revival. So it's a revival that is sweeping across the land. This isn't just the king initiating it, but people are at least outwardly following God. And this is the, you know, the key I'm going to say is outwardly, because as soon as he dies, everything goes back to, back to the way it, way it was. Uh, and this is the sad thing. The real revival has to start from the bottom and work its way up. You, you know, people will say, well, you can't legislate morality. And they're right. We can't legislate morality. We can make laws to say you are going to do things the right way and expect people to abide by them, but we can't make their heart change. And that's what the law was all about. The law was to show us that our heart is evil and that we want to do sin. We do not want to do what's right. And here, Josiah puts together a large thing and the leaders start putting. Now note though, the animals that were being butchered are not the right animal for Passover. The animal of Passover is a lamb. And a lamb for each household. And it was to be consumed that night during Passover. And anything left over in the morning was to be burned. And then you didn't have leftovers of that meal. And so they're not having the right meal, but he is trying to do Passover. I mean, he is trying to honor God. But he's still not quite doing things the way God said to do it. Which is why there's never been a Passover like that and never have been since. Because this wasn't Passover. He's celebrating Passover. He's, he's 
wiped out all idolatry, and he says, we're going to have a celebration, and he's not doing it quite the right way, but he's having a celebration. He's drawing people to God. He's trying the best he can, which is also one of the things that happens so often in churches where, where if God's not lifted up and followed right, you can see people doing some really strange things in churches, all in the name of worshiping God. Went to a church one time and would have swore I was at a rock concert. You know, there wasn't a single person in the audience singing any of the songs, and the band was wailing away, and laser shows, and smoke, and the room was dark, and the lights were flashing. You would have swore you were at a rock concert, and you're going, how are we worshiping God in all of this? Now, they would have told you they were worshiping God, but not a single person was singing. Not a single person out in the audience was participating in the worship of God, they were jumping up and down and acting, acting crazy like you would at any rock concert. You know, but was it really to God? Now, some of them may have been worshiping God. Don't get me wrong. Some of them might have been worshiping God. But it's like, what was going on there was not a godly. Not at that point. I don't know. I had to leave. My, my ears were starting to bleed with, from, from, the loud, from the loud noise, so I had to leave. So I don't know if they ever got to a message. Uh, and not literally bleeding, but I don't like loud, loud music, and it was terrible. But there is so much going on. We have many pastors that give such a, such a message that is, tickles the ears, and people come to their church because they, they like the messages they hear. They're charismatic. They, they, they speak good things to people, but it's not necessarily the Word of God. When the Word of God is spoken, your toes are going to be stepped on. You're not going to come out of every message thinking... Wow, that was the best message I ever heard. I feel really good. There's many messages I've come out and go, man, that pastor just beat up on me really bad. Now I needed it, and it was good, but that is what's going on. And here, Josiah is really honoring God, but this Passover is not following Passover. Passover was a family event that was to be done in your home with a lamb that was killed for your family that had been looked at for for four days before the killing of that lamb and brought into the house and then was to be killed and, and cooked that night and 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 eaten up in that one night with all the other items of unleavened bread and everything note that we don't see unleavened bread we just see lots of animals being killed and lots of animals he feeds the he feeds the city with all of this but he's not doing it the way god said so even though his heart is really toward god he still needs to learn how to truly worship God. And this is true for all of us. When we first get saved, none of us knows how to read, you know, how to read the scriptures, how to study the scriptures, you know, how to really seek after God. And I've seen bizarre things done by young Christians as they're trying to, to worship and please God. And I'm going, well, you do know that that's not what God says. <laughs> and I've seen really strange, you know, we won't even go into some of the things I've seen. But he is coming to God with the right attitude. I mean, I'm, he's coming in with the right attitude. God, it's Passover day. You said to celebrate the Passover. I don't really know how to celebrate Passover, so we're just going to have a great big feast here in Jerusalem, and we're going to feed everybody. We're going to kill lots and lots of animals, and we're going to have a wonderful feast. We're not going to concentrate on the, on the getting out of Jerusalem, you know, out of, out of Egypt or any of that stuff, the, the killing of the firstborn, but we're going to celebrate. Much the way... Christmas and Easter has been turned into secular events in our, in our country. 
People still practice them, supposedly, but they're not looking at what we are celebrating. We're just doing all the sideshow side stuff and not focusing on the one it's about. And this is what Josiah's done. He's not really focusing on God. And again, I don't blame him. He's, you know, he's grown up. Manasseh was a terrible man. He didn't teach him anything. And all of a sudden, he's given the word of God, and he's trying to follow it the best he knows how. And he needs to learn, and the Levites need to be able to teach him, and they don't know. They're trying to learn themselves. All right? So I don't blame him, but I'm just saying that what he's practicing was not true service to God. He's been very zealous. He's getting rid of all the idols. He says, God, you'll have no other gods before you. I'm getting rid of all the other, all the other gods. You know, and I think he really was. He was trying to follow the Ten Commandments. He was trying to do all, everything that he could. He's following God with his whole heart. He said, okay, it's the 14th day of the first month. It's time for Passover. Not quite sure how to practice Passover. We're going to have Passover. All right? Uh, and he declares that they're going to have Passover, and, he, and they kill a lot of animals for Passover. All right? Uh, and it says that there was no Passover like this in, in all of the time of Judaism, all the way back to the judges. So this is a big deal. This is a huge deal because even in the wanderings of Israel, you'll note that when Joshua crossed the, the, Red, uh, the, the uh, Jordan, the first thing they did was circumcise everybody because they hadn't circumcised people for the 40 years of the wandering in the wilderness. And it also says that they held a Passover celebration and that they hadn't had Passover during the, during the years of the... And this is with Moses as their leader. Moses did not follow the law of God as they were wandering around. And so Josiah comes along and he says, we're going to do what God says to the best that I can do. And I'm, like I say, I'm not trying to judge him on not doing it right. He did, he did the best that he could with the knowledge that he had. And this is the beautiful thing. When we serve God and we do the best we can with the knowledge we have, it's a good start. We need to be growing and being taught to be able to do better. And this is important for us. When I was first saved, I didn't know a whole lot about the Bible. I didn't know a whole lot about how to worship God. Matter of fact, my first, my first uh, witnessing times were really great telling everybody they were going to hell. Now, that was really what everybody wanted to hear. It really went over well. Uh, and unfortunately, that's how most new Christians witness. They'll, they'll tell everybody, but they're, they're so zealous that they want people not to go to hell that they tell them that you know, they almost attack them for going, you know, that they're going to hell. And yet, you know, and then they learn. And they learn how to love. They learn how to present. They learn how to give it nicely. You know, and we start out on this really hard, excited, it's kind of strange way of doing things. And I've seen, you know, I've seen people actually give their drugs to God as a sacrifice, <laughs> you know, uh, because they're, you know, they know they're not supposed to do that. So they decide, God, they're yours. You know, this is my offering. We'll let the church sell. We'll let the church sell the drugs so they can get the money that that I sold. You know, uh, you know, and it's like, okay, we'll we'll just destroy these. You know. <laughs> A lot of people done that. Well, you had what did Matthew do when he got saved? He gave back. He gave back what he, all the people. Zacchaeus did the same thing. He gave back the money that he cheated from people. 
uh, because the conviction said I've got to do something. And that's a good thing. To make restitution to people that have been hurt is very important. And that's part of our true worship of God is when we've hurt somebody, to go in and apologize to them and give restitution, whatever that might mean for that person, is very important. It's a very important step in our repentance. Uh, because until I deal with the people that have been hurt to the best that I can, I really haven't cleared the decks of my, of my conscience. He was, he was Manasseh's son, and Manasseh was 12 years old when he started reigning, so he would not have known, he would not have known uh, Hezekiah. Well, at best, Manasseh was 15 years old. If, if he was born right at the beginning of the extra 15 years, at best, he's, uh, Manasseh was born when, at 12 years into that 15 years. So at 18 years old, he hasn't given birth to this, this young man, so I don't think he understood anything. He might have heard some stories about the great king Hezekiah, but doesn't... Didn't he have the book of the animals? Well, when you read that, usually, like, uh, when you read the book of Esther, the king wrote, had them pull the book of the annals of the kings because he was tired and he wanted to go to sleep. So it's, if you bore me enough with the annals, I'll go to sleep. And that's when they read about Mordecai and, hey, you know, uh, you know, not being, you know, being rewarded and, you know, and, and, all, and all that started. But no, he'd read the books because it was just a boring, and the king did, you know, got up this morning and, talk, you know, held court and this person showed up, this person showed up, this person showed up. So he probably wasn't interested in reading the <laughs> annals of Hezekiah. You know, and the annals probably were someplace. They were in the library of the, but again, the, the reasons for everything would have been lost. You know, the annals would not have been written for the purpose of getting that kind of knowledge. Uh, and there might have been some books about it, but again, he has been raised up and, and may not even know. You know, Hezekiah might have been a name that you didn't even mention in, in Manasseh's day. You know, uh, we're not mentioning him. He was a good king. And there, remember, there's a king also between Manasseh and, and Josiah as well. Uh, you've got Ahaz, who's, who's in there as well, who's a bad king. And, and I shockingly read an article online about them wanting to chisel off all the names of things off of the museums and everything that had been etched in and built in because they don't like the names of these people on the buildings. All right? And that reminds me of what happened way back in the days of Egypt. Every time there was a dynasty change, they would go in and chisel people's names off of the, off the records on the walls. Uh, because if we can get rid of all remembrance of them, then nobody will remember. You know. So I think that's probably what they did to Hezekiah. We're going to not mention his name. He's, he, he, was a, you know, he was one of those followers of, of of Yahweh and we're we're followers of Baal and all these other gods. We don't want people to even think about him. So his names were his name was taken out of all the histories, his name was taken off any monuments, and nobody mentioned him. So I think Josiah really did not know. Now granted there's the books and everything that have been tucked away, but for the most part he did not know anything about Hezekiah. Uh, the priests are losing theirs. I mean the, the priests were losing their control of worship. So you have all of this going on and this is 
happening even to this day where you rewrite the history of the past so that you can make it say what you want and make people forget. And we're seeing that in our country. They're rewriting our history. They're trying to eliminate anything that doesn't fit their, their belief system and their way of thinking. And it's been happening forever, all the way back to, to Egypt and then ever since where they would wipe out the past. If you can get rid of people's uh, history, then you can control them. There's nothing that you can control. And this is one of the reasons that Israel has stayed as a, a nationality all the time because they would practice Passover. No matter where they are, they would practice Passover. They practiced Sabbath. They, they kept God's word as best they could during all that time by remembering, remembering their history. And they could never be broken of their Judaism now, they had some strange views of it, but they would never be broken of their complete Judaism because they kept focus on their, at least their feasts and their festivals. And this is what happens with these countries. Uh, in Russia, for first couple generations under communism, they had a hard time because the people were remembering their worship of their gods and everything and didn't, weren't giving in to the communist indoctrination until they finally started dying out and they then the communists they got hold of the schools and eliminated all of the references that their parents and grandparents understood and then were able to totally get their kids bought under. In America it's been the same thing. The, the governments have gotten control of the schools and slowly started knocking out all the different things that would be uh, set us up as a Christian nation so that now people are totally buying into everything that we we as older people, 60, 70, 80 and above, would say this is an America and that's not what our kids have been taught in school. They know nothing about our founding fathers. They know nothing about the founding of this country. They know, you know, they're, they're taught that we came in to, to rape and pillage the land and steal it from the natives. They, so they don't teach any of the history anymore? No. They teach social studies. And social studies is how you think about history, not history. And it's a really big difference. History needs to be taught, not social studies. But social studies is how you think about the activities, not, not the activity themselves. And there's an agenda behind what they teach them. And it's not what we would want as most Christians <laughs> to be, to be the, the direction that they are going on this. So Josiah is going through. He holds Passover. It's going to be one of the greatest Passovers in all of the history because he loves God so much, he is trying to build people back to God. Now, he's going to try to do it by legislation, and he's going to make people follow God. He's going to make people obey God. And as soon as he dies, we immediately go back to all these altars and, and shrines and everything being built because their hearts are not completely turned. And his heart is turned. His heart is turned. He's, he's after God. And several people are going to turn, obviously. There's going to be, when the leader is there, there's going to be several people that turn with him. But there's not enough. The, the, the court does not turn. His children do not turn. Because his child who comes after him is going to lead them right back into idolatry worship. He's going to be following after grandpa, not after dad. And, and bring everything into the disaster that was going on. Well, nothing new under the sun. You know, and this is the sad thing, is that everything that's going on in our country is the same thing. We have small, quick revivals, but overall, the bulk of people's hearts are not being changed 
to, to make a, a revival last for a long time. And this is, this is the hard part that we face. And Josiah is going to find out that he's not getting as much change as he wants. He's trying to make it happen, but it ends up not happening. And that's sad. You know, leaders do influence their countries, but it does start at the bottom level. You know, Chronicles tells us, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and repent, then God will deliver. And so we have to start down at the people and see this revival. And we're going to end there. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this time. Lord, help us to, to learn to bring revival to our friends, our neighbors, and and help us to see re true revival come out and break out in our country and our world. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23 we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.